And just like that, we're back. It seems like episode 8, where we left off with this story, was forever ago. But, just like that, we're at episode 10. What? 10 whole episodes? I am blown away at myself, Um, but uh, also at this whole process. It's been so enlightening. And with Christmas just over a week away, I couldn't help but reflect. So I wrote down some of my reflections for you. I find a striking parallel to the birth of a new version of myself, emerging from the shadows of this horrifying experience. Much like the quiet anticipation of the nativity scene, where hope blossomed in the form of a child, this Christmas season has become a cradle for my personal rebirth. As the world celebrates the arrival of light in the form of twinkling ornaments and radiant stars, I too am illuminated by the inner glow of resilience and self-discovery. The unwrapping of presents mirrors the unveiling of layers revealing not just the scars, but also the strength that lies beneath. The Christmas tree, standing tall and adorned with ornaments, symbolizes the resilience to rise above the ashes and create something beautiful. Amid the festive feasts, I absolutely savor the taste of my own liberation, celebrating the freedom to redefine my own story. The holiday lights casting away the darkness mirror the journey from the shadows of an oppressive past into the radiant glow of an exciting and surely abundant future ahead. This Christmas, I celebrate not only the birth of a child in Bethlehem, but also the rebirth of my own spirit. Unwrapping the gift of a stronger, wiser, and more authentic version of Amanda. Within the twinkling lights and festive joy, I find a reflection of the hope and renewal that now resides within, making this Christmas not just a festive celebration, but a personal triumph over adversity. In this episode, we dive right back in to where we left off. The phone call from the Arizona woman, who you know, she's just a friend. You'll get to move into our new apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada with us. And the roller coaster that comes along with that, well, you guys know how this goes by now. And then you'll get to spend Christmas with us, married for the first time, spending the holidays with his family. As I'm sure you know by now, I'm your host, Amanda Arnier, and this is the Dichotomy Diaries. Let's dive in. In episode eight, I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger. My phone rang, and who was it? None other than the Arizona woman that Dick had spent countless hours over the course of the past few months talking with in the car on our road trips, when he was at the gym, Basically, any time in my absence, 
this woman was keeping him company via the phone. But before we get into that, remember that trip that he took to Reno? The one that he was supposed to fly in, meet with somebody, get some money, and then head back. $90 for a flight there, $90 for a flight back. I'm pretty sure that he said it was supposed to be somewhere around $500, $2,000 he was supposed to make. No touching though, right? Well, <laughs> would you believe that when he arrived home, he had no money. He actually spent what he made from that quote-unquote client sitting in the casino waiting for his Uber to pick him up to take him to the airport. So actually, we were negative $180 for the flights that we paid for out of pocket. Mind you, we don't have the deposit for our home yet. But spending eight hours away on an escorting trip was top tier priority for him. Okay, so now the call with the Arizona woman. I wasn't expecting it. When I picked up, I, I don't know, I guess I was really nervous. I didn't know what I was going to hear. Because I was pretty positive that my narrative was correct. However, this whole story, there's so many monkey wrenches in the machine. Like, you twist, turns, like nothing is what it seems in my life at this time. So basically, I just listened first. And she told me everything. She told me that Dick and her had been friends for six plus years that they had met on the internet but had never met in real life. Over the course of that six plus years, they had confided in each other. She had seen him in and out of relationships, engagements. He had told her that his daughter had been taken away from him, that she was a perfect angel, which she is. But he also told her things about me because clearly she could see on social media that we were together we were married and if she had been around for six plus years she saw when we were engaged so what I gather from Arizona woman is that Dick fed her a bunch of essential bullshit Amanda is fat she's an alcoholic She's a druggie. She smokes cigarettes perpetually. I hate her dogs. They are so disgusting and gross and dirty. I hate her dogs. She actually commented on that and she was like, I don't understand why he's telling me this because I have a dog and he knows that. And like, I don't really get like the angle here. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of crazy. So this specific woman who he had never met, who I don't believe there was ever any like intentional setting of a time to meet up until recent, 
had actually gotten into an accident um, that left her kind of down and out. And Dick knew about this. He knew that she was in a vulnerable position. And that's when he swooped. That's when things started to become more romantic. He was telling her that he was in love with her, that he had been the whole entire time they quote-unquote knew each other. Imagine that, preying on someone in a vulnerable state. It's textbook. He had spearheaded the initiative to finally meet her after all of these years because they were meant to be. And this woman is not stupid. She saw everything about us on social media. And at that point in time, I was sharing a lot because I was trying to cover up the fact that my life was just fucking misery. So she saw our road trip. She saw the wedding. She saw all of the places, the holidays, all the things that we did. And she questioned him about that. She said, why does it appear that Amanda doesn't know that what you're saying is happening is happening? He told her that I was delusional and didn't want to get a divorce. When he commented on the cross-country road trip, where we stopped in Alabama, Illinois, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, he told her that he was driving me home to Chicago to help me move back in with my parents because he didn't want to leave me in a vulnerable state, taking all of my stuff across the country by myself. What a gentleman. He continued to say that Amanda knows that we're not together, which is so fucking unbelievable to me, you guys. Like, based on, like, what conversations we were having at the time, the arguments, but then, like, the real deep conversations. We actually did, like, couples therapy in Alabama to be saying this to this woman at the same time, like, while he's in a different car driving in front of me to our next destination, it's fucking mental. Like, mental. So, <laughs> some actual, like, funny parts of this story. Um, at one point, when we had been on the road, one of his friends had found maybe, like, a jewelry guy that was making him this diamond necklace it was they were lab created diamonds and but it looked like really good and if they were real diamonds the thing would have cost like fucking fifty thousand dollars okay well it costs like 800 so there's like there's the quality and, and the discrepancy in price okay so when he had told me that he was going to buy this necklace and showed me and said hey should I get this one should I get this one I told him to get, you know, the bigger one. Of course, mind you, I know we don't have any money for it. But like happy dick is a nice dick. So I'm like, get the bigger one. And I'm like, can I get the smaller one? Because it was like more feminine and dainty. And again, like he never took the initiative to like just like do stuff for me, like buy me things. And it was so so painful to watch him over and over again buy stuff for himself that 
we could not afford, but he never would spend any extra money on me. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get the big one. You're going to get this smaller one. Oh my God. So cute. We can match. <laughs> Dead ass. I'm on the phone with Arizona woman. And she says, yeah, he even told me that he like bought me a diamond necklace. And I'm like, bitch, no, he didn't. He did. And so I proceeded to tell her, you know, about that whole like conversation and also that it was fake. Um, he actually later proceeded to sell that diamond necklace when we didn't have any money to a very close, very incredible, loyal friend of his and told him that it was real. And when said friend brought it to a jeweler to have it checked and found out that it wasn't in fact real diamonds, the friend was like, give me my fucking money back. But you know, like what happens with Dick is like when he gets money, it's immediately going into bet online or bet MGM and it's being bet some kind of like straight tennis or like some kind of stupid basketball prop parlay. So now that we're in Vegas and I'm, I'm having, let me just paint the scene. So I'm having this conversation with this woman and part of it was I was at Matt's house and the dogs weren't there because they were at doggy daycare then I had left to go get the dogs from doggy daycare because Dick was due to be arriving back at like within the hour so the whole car ride I'm talking to her amazing person like actually very much elaborated on the fact that she didn't feel like anything that he said was truthful in hindsight but that at the moment, because of where she was at due to, you know, being down and out because of the accident, it was just nice to talk to somebody. And this was a person that she had confided in in the past and vice versa. So now I'm at doggy daycare. I'm picking them up. I get them in the car and we're just talking and we discussed a bunch of things. I think that the biggest shock to her was what he did for a living versus what he told her and truthfully I don't remember what he had said that he did maybe it was life insurance or something along those lines or perhaps it was you know still just working at paychecks um I, I'm not entirely sure I don't remember but she had no idea about the online sex work the financial domination, the OnlyFans, she really had no idea. And like, truthfully, bless her heart, she's like, this is shocking to me. And I don't know, like, I just really can't, um, I can't describe truthfully the warmth that like the conversation had for me at that moment, because I felt like that was the first time that I was being validated that everything that I was experiencing was not just made up in my head. And that's, I was told daily that all of these like gut feelings I had about numbers I would see or, or just things that he would do, like, you're just imagining it. That's not what it is. Blah, 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 blah. And I'll, I'll give him credit for this. The first time that I had seen Arizona woman's name on his phone, 
he like flat out told me like this is a friend we're just friends I'm not interested in her like that he even went as far to say I feel really bad because she just had an accident and like I want to do something nice for her I remember exactly where I was and in, in, we were driving down the 17 in Arizona and I think we were headed to church and he said you know I want to do something nice for her and I said hey you know like why don't we have like the bishopric or somebody come over and they can you know give her like uh, a healing prayer or you know we can donate um give her some money or something like that and and I had said that I had suggested that because if this was a friend mind you he did not have a lot of friends I wanted to like befriend her I wanted to show my alliance to him by supporting his friendship so he very openly communicated with her because that was the narrative that I was told to believe. It wasn't hidden. I guess the car ride conversations were hidden, but the day-to-day stuff like her name would show up on his phone and I would see it and I wouldn't think twice about it, truthfully. Like I was very conditioned to be like, that's his friend, it's all good. So I didn't really know what to do because here I am in Vegas and you know, we've signed the lease my name's on it he is also on it I made sure this time um she's being such a good human and and telling me like hey this does not sound good like I don't know you but I don't think that like this this is going to end well if it hasn't ended well all the other times and I I was just stupid I I wouldn't listen I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt that we were in the place that he always ran away to and that because we were here, he wouldn't run away again. He wouldn't do bad things because, right? Okay, you always run away to Vegas. Let's go to Vegas. Where are you going to go now? That was the problem or so he told me was that he missed his friends. He wanted to be back home. She also said that when we arrived in Las Vegas that he had sent her a message that he was here. I'm not sure. I don't really remember if he said that we were in Vegas or if it was just him, but um, she was supposed to come to Vegas maybe the following weekend. And even with everything going on and me asking him to block her and all this stuff, He was still trying to meet up with her actively when we had just arrived. So I I felt a little trapped, I'm not going to lie. And having already signed the lease, um, it was like for real. And I did feel in that time, and this very rarely happened, honestly, that I felt like I had made a mistake and a choice pertaining to him. Um, I felt like being there was going to cause a lot of problems because it was an environment that he was so familiar to and there was so many people that knew him and I was now kind of alienated and on this island alone. I remember being on the phone with her all the way through bringing the dogs back to Matt's house, getting back upstairs and just kind of relaxing. I know that Dick had landed and that he was pretty close to getting back um we actually laugh about this me and her these days because when he walked into the house I was still actually on the phone with her 
And I remember being like, oh my God, oh my God, I gotta go. He's here, he's here. And thinking to myself, how the fuck am I now sneaking around with Arizona girl? Like, <laughs> um, so it was really funny. Um, eventually, uh, she will share her firsthand testimony. Um, but at this time, we're going to leave it at that um, and move on. So I was a dumb, stupid idiot. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say. And so what happened then? He comes home and he's like, uh, I gambled all the money. And I'm like, God, you're so stupid. Okay, well, we need, you know, 2000 more dollars to put the deposit down. I don't want to stay in Matt's house anymore, like hiding in the upstairs room. Like, God, Rapunzel in a castle with these dogs. And so he just starts like pounding his Skype and pounding his Twitter. I remember him sending out text messages to people that maybe were not super regular clients, but had given him substantial amounts of money in the past and being like, hey, I need a loan. And I remember receiving those loan payments to my account. And I think that that was probably because his was negative maybe at the time. So kind of fast forward, eventually he raises all the funds to move us into our house. And I have to run and get a cashier's check from like Albert the bank and Albertsons or something and I'm like rushing back and forth and all this stuff we finally get the check into the hands of the people at the apartment and so now we have the keys and we can open the door and essentially move in well we don't have any of our furniture because like if you remember our furniture was left in the storage unit in Phoenix all we have was what was on top of my car, my Jeep, and what was on top of his car, which was in these like storage bags. It was mostly like our clothes, our toiletries, everything else that was big and bulky um, and like electronic kitchen stuff, all that stuff was still in Phoenix. So I remember that like the first night that we were there, we actually slept on the floor we had blankets. I think that, that we had like this gigantic Tempur-Pedic dog bed. We may have slept on the dog bed, honestly. Um, but we were in our home and this was our new home. It was an apartment, two bedroom, two bath. It was very bright. And actually, this funny side note, um, he had picked this out. Remember, I gave him full authority to pick out everything that had to do with Vegas because I just wanted him to be happy. He picks this place. Okay, don't you know that the girlfriend prior when he lived in Vegas before moving to Arizona and him lived in this exact same apartment? He legitimately took me back to the scene, you guys. And I knew it. He told me and I didn't feel like any type of way about it. Honestly, I was like, this place is cool. It's got like tanning beds, like it's very resort style. Um, pool tables, darts, there was like a big buck hunter, which I fucking love and I'm so good. So if you ever see like ALA on the on the top points, like that is me for sure. <laughs> Anyways, um, so furniture is in Arizona and we have to go get it. So what do we do? We hop in his car and we start driving to fucking Arizona, right? Like I'm sick of driving, but I want my stuff. Like I just want a home. I just want to not be in constant motion. Okay. 
And so it takes four hours to get back to Arizona. And of course, it's just us. We have a gigantic king size bed. We have TVs. We have a lot of things. But for the most part, all of the furniture, the bulky stuff, I had sold off. So it was really stuff that we could manage. So we get a uh, U-Haul. He drives the U-Haul. I'm driving his car, following him back to Las Vegas. And we really did like go there, pack it up, turn around. And then we're like legit unpacking in the evening as the sun's going down in Las Vegas. So we unpack and, you know, at this point, so because like the gambling laws are different in Las Vegas, all of the apps that he has been using, let's say like FanDuel, DraftKings, um, the like Arizona version of BetMGM, you can't use those in Las Vegas. You can go to the casino and gamble or you can use the apps that are Vegas specific because they have different rules pertaining to like live betting, uh, props, you know, like player things. Like it's very, um, there's a lot of restrictions in Las Vegas and other places there's not. So I noticed that instead of using these apps now, he's actually spending a lot more time on BetMGM um, because we don't have a lot of cash. And, you know, I maybe was about to receive like my last paycheck from being on disability with paychecks. But, you know, coming up to, you know, this is the end of October. So November 1st, like my boss had told me, hey, like if you can't find a new position here and like one doesn't pop up that I can offer to you, you're going to have to resign. So, yeah, there's nothing. We have this whole big ass house, barely any furniture all for clothes and two giant Great Danes and just like no money. So I think that maybe he won a decent chunk of money. And when I say that, a decent chunk of money for him to win is like anything over $1,500. Um, and he wins, but for some reason he can't withdraw. And he's getting really frustrated. We had It was the same day that we had driven to and from Arizona and he, you know, he's like laying on the bed in our room and he's like, Oh my God, like what the fuck? I can't, can you just talk to these people? Uh, customer service, bet online. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I can't fucking deal with it. And I'm like, okay, that was kind of like a me thing. Like if he had a problem, I was the one to call customer service because I could, um, articulate what the problem was and come to a solution with the person. So he gives me his phone to talk to bet online and it was on speakerphone. I think at that exact moment that he put his phone in my hand, one of the dogs was like gesturing that they had to go outside. We live in an apartment, so like he has to, you know, leash one of them up and take them all the way down to the uh, dog park, which was probably like a good five minute walk too. So as I have his phone in my hand and I can see that it is unlocked and I'm on with bed online and he is out of the apartment. I take it upon myself to do what any woman who's been perpetually lied to, manipulated, and brainwashed would do. I go directly to the text messages. And you know when you kind of commit names and faces to memory because you see them and something about it just doesn't feel right? One of the first fucking text messages was from a specific girl who resided in Vegas that I had been quote-unquote monitoring their interaction maybe like she would like everything that he posted 
she would watch my stories I'm like this shit is wild she's right there so I open it up and it's like oh my god like I'm here I can't wait to meet you like please let me meet like like essentially begging to meet this woman and of course she's beautiful but I'm just not like understanding this like you're like there's pictures of me on his social media she's watching my story like what delusional thought process could lead like to thinking that that was going to be a positive outcome like I just I really didn't understand it so he comes back and I actually like I just wanted more time with his phone so I like went to the bathroom and like locked myself into the bathroom and I was taking screenshots and sending them to myself on my phone and I think he realized that he like had fucked up by giving me it because when he came back he was like hey where's my phone like give me my phone I was like pounding on the bathroom door and like I just opened it and I like threw his phone across the room and I was like you know what like fuck you so much why am I here I never wanted to move to Las Vegas I'm like ask Marissa she's lived here for how fucking long she's begged me as her best friend who lived in Arizona just please come here move it'll be great we can live together all this stuff and I always said no why I just fucking hate it I'm like why did you marry me why did you do this I just like throwing all of these questions at him I'm like why couldn't you have just stayed gone and I get it there was me being like please come back I love you all of these times but like he seems pretty steadfast in all of the decisions that he's making and and the one that could have just essentially like made my life just a little bit easier by staying away he couldn't do so I'm just like, listen, I, I, I really, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I just have to leave. I have nothing. I don't want to be here. And in that very moment, he's like, I'm fully committing myself to you right now. I'm sorry. I'm happy that we're here. I want to be happy. I want to be loyal. I want to be faithful. I want to lead with we, which is something that is very, um, it's a touchy topic for me. He never said us. He never said we. It was always me and Amanda. Amanda and I, if he had good grammar that day. Just, you know, like, I want to be a we. I want to be a team. And I promise this will never happen again. And here's me, like, all doe-eyed, like, oh my god, for real? Yeah, well, of course I stayed otherwise we wouldn't be here today so kind of just carrying on he starts setting up his office because that's the money maker um you know making sure that his workstation and his three monitors and cameras and lighting and like the back looks the background looks good um he he was doing all of that with himself like locked in the office and also at the same time live streaming on chatterbait and all the other sites he wasn't helping unpack the rest of the house like it's fully my job now to unpack which I don't mind I like organizing I like moving into a new house because it's an opportunity for a fresh start everything goes and it has a place it's organized you know where it is um I didn't like that majority of the things that I was putting away were his 
And because we didn't have like a lot of furniture, there wasn't like a lot of like vessels for things to go in. So I'm like hanging everything up. Like I did the kitchen and that was fine. Okay, so November 1st rolls around and there was no word about an opening um, in Las Vegas for my team and paychecks. And that's sad. Um, but I had to resign. And so I did. And Dick actually, like, I was sad about the resignation because here's how I felt about it. The reason that I had taken the short-term disability was because mentally I was in a state of fight or flight constantly. My anxiety was so bad that like I couldn't sleep but I also wanted to sleep all the time um little things like when he was because it, it started really when he ran away and went to Hawaii if you remember when he was gone I would like go to the store to buy food and I'd see a fucking bag of Tostitos chips and go into a full-blown like palpitation panic attack so this wasn't like a oh, I'm going through a lot, I need some time off. This was like, my brain cannot focus on even what I need to do to survive here. There's no way that I'm going to be able to sell your HR software successfully. And truthfully, I I do, as I always say, feel very strong in like my ethics and my morals. And it did not feel right to continue to pretend to work and be on the clock when I knew that I would just be sitting there all day and not doing anything. So that that really is like why I took the short-term disability. I could not mentally function day to day and it was very stressful. So now I'm having to, to resign and I'm feeling like resentful about it because it was a very good paying job and we had excellent benefits that I shared with him. I had gotten him a job at at that company like it was a good gig and I felt like I was forced to be in the situation that I was in and some people can say oh well you know it's your mental health and you could have really you know you could have worked through it blah 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 like it was traumatic it was so traumatic the stuff that I was going through and I feel lucky that I didn't end up in a fucking insane asylum you know, I think that I really have mental strength that I, I never knew that I had. But here's me losing my job, my benefit, my insurance, like all of this stuff. And, and he is also now too, right? So I'm kind of just like really upset and being very quiet this day. And I think he notices. And I remember I was, I was painting a dresser that we had bought like secondhand because I was like, okay, I need to I need to save money, so I'm going to buy things like on Facebook Marketplace or OfferUp, and I'm going to paint them and make them look nice. And so I think I was painting this dresser like in the living room, and he came out, and he like kind of gestures and grabs my hand and like picks me up off the floor from where I was painting, and he holds both of my hands, and he looks at me, and I'm like, okay, he's being cute. What's he going to say? And he says, listen, you know, I've been thinking about it as I'm, you know, working in the other room and 
the income, like our income is so good right now between what I'm making, camming, FinDom, you know, not overly losing with gambling and with you doing the adult content consulting, like he's like, you don't have to have a job. He's like under some conditions, but why don't you just support me and our business? You do the marketing, you do the consulting with the different content creators and just take care of the house. And he goes, I got us. And so that's like now the second time I'm hearing, I got us. He said it on the way back when he apologized for making me think that we were poor the whole time and hiding money. And now he's saying it again. And to be honest, my first reaction was, I don't feel comfortable with this because there's never been a time in my life where I didn't have a job, like an actual career that I had full benefits and pay. And I had consistent income. There's never been a time like that. But, and there's a lot of buts, I know. It made me feel like for the first time that he was actually going to take care of me. And this was coming from a place of happiness and and actually it seemed like it was coming from a place of giving which wasn't something that he did that I ever saw in him so me being me I knew that I wanted a true outline of what our responsibilities were because I knew that if I wasn't going to be working my job was going to be specific tasks around the house specific things pertaining to the business and I wanted to know from his perspective what that looked like so that I never fell short of meeting those expectations because now I feel like he's giving and I, I feel like I'm taking. Even though I truthfully, this is my marriage, I should feel like we are contributing to the we, the goal. Um, financial stuff always really was a trigger for me. So that was kind of difficult. So I start talking to him about the responsibilities and he kind of just lays it out for me. It wasn't a conversation. It was him laying it out for me. And he goes, you'll clean the house. Like you'll do the laundry and like you'll cook. We can cook together sometimes and we'll still go out. He's like, but basically, and this is a direct quote, you will do all of the things that are, you know, below my pay grade. And I was like, offended by that and I'm like okay um I I enjoy doing all of those things but now that he's made it seem like uh it's slave labor and he's above it now I'm like kind of pissed and I make this face like okay like you like will you help me clean sometimes and he's like I mean, if you don't want to clean, like, I'll just, I'll just buy us a cleaning lady. And I'm like, listen, we don't have any money. Like, yes, there is income. And the income, if you can be more disciplined, will sustain us through our bills and maybe we'll have possible opportunity to save. But we don't need to be hiring a cleaning lady if I'm not going to work. This is always how like his brain worked like, oh yeah, like I'm going to go and I'm going to buy meal plans and meal prep instead of cooking. I'm going to 
take all of my clothes and have them dry cleaned and or washed and folded when I could have done all of this stuff to save money. So I'm in this like save money uh, mental place and he's like, we're just abundant, you know? So I say, no, I'll do all of that stuff. I was fully subscribed to the responsibility of being a wife. Did I ever want to be a housewife that didn't have a job or a business and just cooked and cleaned? No, I didn't. And not that there's anything wrong with that because that that really truthfully is a job in and of itself. I just know that the way my brain works, I need to also have business in my life and in some regard. So I did, right? I had my consulting and it, it starts to get overwhelming. Um, the clients that we had, it was a lot like being a counselor, therapist, and a manager. And <laughs> yeah, it was just a lot. And a lot of them, you know, when, when you're working with a client, there's responsibilities between the consultant and the client. Like, I expect things to be delivered to me on time so that I can make the post so that you can then make money and then you can uh, pay me, whatever. And that wasn't really always happening. And I felt like it was kind of always um, just a chase. I was chasing people down to get the things I needed to do my job. And I started feeling very um, just like discouraged with the whole business concept. And it was a lot and I wasn't receiving help, even though he could have been helping me when he was sitting at his desk on cam, like literally not doing anything, um, he didn't. And so I was overwhelmed. So when I'm overwhelmed, I kind of shut down and, you know, maybe I would do the laundry and fold it and put it on the bed, but I wouldn't put it away. And I would like leave it for after dinner and maybe we could both put away our laundry. I don't know. Fucking crazy idea. Well, he would just throw it on the floor. We have dogs. Mostly he wore black stuff. So all of the clothes that I had washed now are unfolded, full of dog hair on the floor. And I start getting yelled at about that. Like, you have no job. And your job is to do one thing. And you can't even keep the house clean. And blah, 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 all this stuff. There's no check-ins like, how are you feeling? Do you need anything from me? Or you're doing a good job. I know it's probably hard for you to not have a career like you've had your whole entire life. But I, I just didn't really say anything. And I just continued to push it down. And this is really the part of living in Las Vegas that starts to get really dark for me. Um, because I noticed my drive just completely diminish and it I there was days when I didn't want to get out of bed um and that was really really hard and I think not seeing affection or care or even like sheer concern from him made it worse like I find joy in silly things grocery shopping for example I like to go to the grocery store on Sundays without a list and roam through the aisles. I could be there for three hours, but it's peaceful to me. I'm planning my week meals. I love to cook. 
So like thinking about that. And I also find like grocery shopping romantic and he hated it. So now that I don't have any money in my account, we're getting paid to the joint business account. But a lot of times I'm seeing the money come in and he's transferring it directly to his personal. So now there's like nothing in there. I have to like ask him for money to go to the grocery store. And a lot of times when I would ask him, he would be like, well, what do you need to buy? And I'm like, yo, like this isn't what we talked about. First of all, like, what do you mean? What do I need to buy? Like, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Like, obviously groceries need stuff for the house. I'm not going to go and like fucking buy a bunch of shit that we don't need. Like, and he would say, if I would say, okay, I need to go and get a dishwasher detergent or Tide Pods, he'd be like, you know what? No, you know, don't go to the grocery store and buy those in the grocery store. Um, someone just bought me an Amazon gift card off my wish list, which is a way that he also made money. There was an Amazon wish list or there was a wish tender wish list and people would buy him gift cards. He's like, I'll use one of the Amazon gift cards to get said item. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, cool. He's like, I'll prime it. Okay, cool. Five days later, there'd be no fucking dish detergent. There'd be no Tide Pods. Like, he just never followed through on doing those things. And in turn, now the initial ask was hard for me, but I did it. And it was met with this objection I'll use Amazon. Now I have to go back and ask again for someone who is already uncomfortable with finances. It was fucking a nightmare for me. It was a nightmare. I hated it. So I started realizing that the whole dynamic of me not working was really bad for just life in general. Um, I think that Rent got paid on time. So we moved in, let's see, October 30th. Rent got paid November 1st. I believe that rent also got paid uh, December 1st. And our bills were on time um, for the most part. Not like the debt that we had owed from before, but these current new home bills are being paid on time. And I think that there's some money in the accounts. Um, So things feel like they're moving in a positive direction this place that we lived he had told me was a very nice wealthy area and that it was closest to like the richest neighborhood because this is how he talks like the richest neighborhoods the richest houses um like there were homeless people that would get through like the gate and wander around (laughs) um there was a towing truck that would daily come around and repossess people's vehicles our rent was like 26.50 it was more than the previous more than the one before that more than his apartment in phoenix and i'm like this is so crazy and also my dogs are living in an apartment and they don't have a backyard so that's like a whole thing in and of itself and i'm like I'm just uncomfortable with all of it, but um, we start to make the apartment homey, and I kind of start noticing that every time this tow truck comes around, this repossession tow truck, um, 
he kind of like comes out of the office because like his office window would face the entry gate so he'd come out of the office he'd like watch it and I'm like what are you doing and he's like oh I'm just like there's a lot of cars that get repossessed here and I'm like yeah it's pretty crazy for being like a really wealthy area (laughs) you know what I'm saying um well one day we went to bed and we woke up and I just I had remembered I don't know early early that morning hearing the beeping of a tow truck and so the first thing I did woke up I light the candles I turned the soft music on I set this happiness environment for him really but also for me and I look out the window and I'm pretty positive where his car is parked there's no car and I'm like oh my fucking god like this is gonna be the worst day ever for me because he's gonna lose his mind and also I'm like how the fuck could his car get repossessed if he's on time with payments because he's telling me that everything's getting paid so I wake him up very 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 gently and I'm like baby where'd you park your car yesterday and he's like oh I don't know like in the middle okay are you sure he's like yeah and I go it's not there and he just lets out this like sigh and I'm like okay so do we think that it's gone and is it possible maybe you forgot that you parked somewhere else and he's like no I parked there and I'm like okay how many payments were you late and he's like I don't want to talk about it okay um now here's me trying to think like what belongings of mine are in this vehicle or of ours I go, what was in, what was in the car? Cause he kept always like a lot of clothes and shoes and, you know, our tennis stuff would be in the car. Um, so there was the possibility of like hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars of stuff being in the car. I've never had a vehicle repossessed. I don't know how it works. I'm like, is there anything in there? Like are our passports in there? Like, and he's like, no, like I took everything out and I'm like, okay anything of mine no I don't think so okay I think there was like a bottle of like bond cologne in the door but I I to this day I think that there are things that were in it that I don't remember but there's a lot of things that I never found after that move that I'm like oh I I wonder if that that's where they are yeah so his car got repossessed and that sparked a whole conversation about Yes, you are paying for our life and you have taken on the responsibility of being in charge of our finances because you want to be the man and you want to live the I got us mantra. Something about getting your car repossessed doesn't exude I got us. And of course, this started an argument, but he somehow was able to like manipulate it around to like fuck it whatever like now we have one car we have one car payment whatever and I'm like you weren't even paying the other one we've had one car payment this whole fucking time like so he starts making payments for my car and using my car and we now only have one vehicle and that's difficult because 
when he would go to the gym and I didn't have a gym membership at this time because it was too expensive for him to add me. Um, he would take my vehicle and I would be stuck at the house. And sometimes he would take it to the gym and then he would be gone like way longer afterwards. And I, I, I have his location. Like I can see he's either, you know, at Matt's house or he's wherever but it's it doesn't look like he's doing anything wrong but again like I don't have any freedom I don't have a job I don't have my vehicle a lot of the times I don't have money to buy things for myself and or us and I'm kind of just confined to this you know two-bedroom two-bathroom apartment in Las Vegas where I don't even have a lot of friends if any that are here at this point. So there was a few times during November that like he wanted to kind of just show me around Las Vegas and the places that he really liked to go. Um, He started subscribing to this idea where he was like, we should save money. And I was like, wow, that's crazy to hear you say that. Okay, Um, do it. And he would take me... He'd be like, let's do a date night and he'd go like, let's go play blackjack and go eat at like, I forget what it's called, maybe like Ellis Island. And it's like one of the only places in Vegas that has $5 blackjack, which truthfully, I love this place and their food at the restaurant. They're so good in such big portions, (laughs) but like you kind of learn to love that stuff when you're poor and it's like the only um, social and together thing that you do with your spouse so that was always really fun um and you know he would I I would we would set kind of limits like okay here's five hundred dollars of which we should have been saving um but this is all we're going to spend tonight he'd get 250 I'd get 250 a lot of times like I would win and that felt really good um but as I mentioned before he's like a kamikaze gambler so if he starts losing, he starts doubling down, tripling down, and then it all goes away way faster. So, um, just kind of moving forward, he's just always in the office working. Again, we lived in an apartment, so I have to take the dogs in and out to go potty, and they're Great Danes, and he wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night to help me do it. And I had to take them one at a time, which they're not very used to like doing anything without the other. So that was like a whole debacle. And it really, I started to get really upset. Like, please fucking help me. I can't, reminded me of what it would feel like if I had a child and the child was crying in the middle of the night and I was the one who had to get up constantly. Um, And it wasn't a shared responsibility. So I'm, we're together in the same place, but we're always apart and Like I mentioned before, I was already starting to feel pretty down about like I didn't have a purpose and I was just flat out getting depressed and sleeping longer. My clients were irritating me and I just kind of wanted to give up on that business because I wasn't getting any help and it wasn't also making a lot of money because the clients weren't doing majority like their part of the deal. So I was trying to make new friends, but that's really hard when you have one vehicle and your husband's at the gym for three and a half hours a day. Um, And also, I'm just like a lot less social 
my social anxiety is at an all-time high not because I don't want to have girlfriends like I really really like yearned to have close female connections at this time because I had lost a lot of mine the most important meaningful ones like were gone and I had one best friend Marissa who lived in Vegas but she was spending a lot of time in Chicago during the first few months that I lived in Vegas um and so that was really hard I remember him being like why can't you like just go out and I'm like where do I go (laughs) and this is embarrassing to admit but like there was so many times you guys that I would just get in my jeep and um I would just go and drive around because I didn't want him to be mad at me for like staying in (laughs) and I there was actually like one at pretty scary not scary but yeah it was scary for me scary occurrence that happened I left and I I wanted to go and I I was going to be doing something alone because I didn't have any friends couldn't meet anybody and I'm like I'm gonna go to like an antique mall because I really like walking around that vintage stuff and like old books so I find one and it's like actually like a insider swap meet which is is always kind of fun um And so I'm there and I spend hours like there just like looking at old books and flipping through pages and trying to find first editions, second editions and like um, different books to like complete sets that I've had over the years attained. Um, And as I'm leaving and I put the GPS on to get home, my phone dies and I have no idea where I'm at, like none. And I'm not near the highway and all I can see are mountains I can't see the strip and I drove around for probably like an hour and a half like in like a panic and I think I was also like low on gas and I didn't have phone and I didn't have any money or a card that worked on me so I couldn't call him like I didn't I thought it was going to be one of those moments where like you have to pull into the gas station and like ask the attendant like where the fuck to go or to use their phone which I felt I don't know definitely some type of way about it made me feel like a child it made me feel like incapable of uh, protecting myself and keeping myself safe so I ended up just driving towards the mountains and I knew that we lived close to the foothills and I eventually saw a street name that I I don't know like that I remembered maybe and turned down and eventually got home um when I walked in the door I was crying (laughs) and he was like you've been gone a long time and it's just so funny to me that like he never had an inkling to to look at my location and to see that like it wasn't there like there was he was never worried about me and uh you know that just tacks on to the depressive state that I was in um yeah it's 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 actually hard right now I'm getting a little bit teary-eyed um like thinking about that time because I wanted everything to work so badly that I now I wasn't like just suppressing the things that I knew that he was doing wrong and how they affected me like I was actually suppressing like my own depression and um it started to just put me in a a really bad spot so 
yeah, there, you know, that was just a few of the, the crazy occurrences that happened at that place. We would do some fun things. Um, his friend Matt lived there. And, um, you know, as we talked about Matt in the past, Matt is, you know, kind of like a high roller at some of the casinos. So he would have a lot of like comp dinners and things that he would invite us to, which was actually really nice of him. And this was somebody that I I really like started to bond with. I felt like um, Dick and Matt and I had like a think tank that we would do. Like I think it was every Friday and we would schedule it on the calendar and we'd go over like things and goals and like he they included me on that. Um, but Matt was a, a regular character like right in in our lives daily um we would play tennis in his neighborhood and that was just always fun and like thinking back to how I felt about him in that moment I again thought that he was an ally I thought that he had not only my best interest and Dick's best interest separately but also us as a couple and as a as a husband and wife like our best interest in mind um and that he was like a a true friend so now we get into December and it's you know gonna be Christmas ironically it's gonna be Christmas and there's (laughs) Like, how do you buy Christmas presents with no money? How do you buy Christmas presents for your spouse when you have to ask them to buy groceries? Um, That was rough. I I think that every once in a while that he would send me, like, 50 bucks and he'd be like, here, like, make some sports bets. Like, bet on hockey, you're good at it. And maybe I had won a little bit of money um, doing that. I think maybe, I think I actually did. You know what? I think I hit, like, a 10 or 11 team hockey parlay on the Nevada bet MGM and I think I won like six or seven hundred dollars and so that was like I kept that money and I saved it (laughs) like there wasn't I that was my money um not because I was like saving it hiding it from him but I was like okay I don't have to ask to do things now um so I actually end up using that money to buy Christmas presents um for him because that's like the only person that I have stuff to buy for we were actually planning on going to his to be with his family for this Christmas so I actually bought him a piano like an upright electric piano and he had just said over and over how much he wanted it and he would always play piano when we went to church and when he's creating or singing or anything that has to do with music he's very happy And I also really enjoy watching him play because he, his, his child comes out, his happiness shows and it's very genuine. So I bought him this piano and, um, I put it together one day when he was in the office working. And I think that I did like a little reveal with like a big red bow. Um, Monza actually helped me put it together. It's so cute. I have the cutest video and he came out of the office and he was genuinely like, surprised and he's like this is so great and I think there were some tears in his eyes and he sat right down and started playing um and I had also gotten him 
another smaller but semi-expensive gift that I thought that he was really going to like. So Christmas in Utah, um, we had planned to spend it with his mom and his stepdad. So, you know, they're very Mormon and prior to this year, we weren't married. So now that we're married, we can go and we can stay at their house together because if before we wouldn't have been able to because we weren't married and they're they're pretty strict on that and that's fantastic like I love that for them and they're amazing people um so his parents his mom and his stepdad live in Utah like let's just say like Salt Lake City area and his father and his stepmom live kind of in between where we are and where his mom and his stepdad live so Dick's really excited about getting to spend Christmas with his mom he's always talking about like in a positive way like how extra his mom is when it comes to Christmas and I could feel this from her too I'm talking with her daily she's so excited she's like I'm gonna make this and I'm gonna make this and do you have any family recipes and she's being very inclusive and I know that also they have this beautiful home that she decorates immaculately and she's just very excited for us to be there and also um dick's stepfather's children are going to be there so i finally get to meet them um you know amanda dick's wife isn't going to be any longer just a friend on facebook and just going to be a real person um and there's a lot of grandkids like being around the babies and uh just i was so excited to have a big christmas um yeah so i suggested that on the way up to his mom and stepdad's house that we stop by and that you know we're married now so why don't we stay with your dad this is what I'm saying to him why don't we stay with your dad and your stepmom and like we can exchange presents with them and have dinner and that'll be nice see like your stepsisters and just like we haven't really ever had a bonding moment with them um every experience that I had had with my father-in-law and um, I guess my step-mother-in-law was brief. Initially, it was like the first time we met, I felt like that was pretty cold. But, you know, I I feel like there's things that I didn't know at that time that would now, in hindsight, I'd have more context. Um, At the wedding, I felt like they were actually pretty warm, but I I was pretty shocked that they didn't go with him to the hospital um, and that they were just there kind of briefly, but they were warm. And I do remember like my father-in-law saying like, you look beautiful and this was beautiful. And that meant a lot to me as um, I'm going to cry. That meant a lot to me as the person that was my husband's hero. Um, So I wanted to give them, time with their son also in the back of my mind what I'm thinking is um I feel like there's this overwhelming kind of energy around dick and from from the perception of his family and I always thought from the very beginning I know I mentioned this that like if he would be with me and we were married and we were a united front and we were working towards a better life 
that his family would love him more because he would show that he was making positive changes. And I now know in hindsight that that's like the most naive thing that um, I could have ever thought because there was so much that I didn't know. Um, Yeah. So he calls his dad and he was like, hey, um, you know, would it be cool if we stopped by the day before Christmas Eve? We're going to go up to my mom's house, but we'd really love to see you. And his dad answers and like just kind of off the cuff is like, yeah, buddy, like that would be great. Um, and he's like, okay, well, we'll see you then. I think it was probably like a, a day or two later. Um, he got a call from his dad just kind of like unannounced and his dad said, um, that, and I, I, I don't exactly remember verbatim, but it was something to the effect of, Hey dude, listen, you can't stay here. So I need you to not pry or ask me why. And I just need you to be okay with it. But Maybe we can get together for dinner or something like that. And I remember hearing, because he always talked with his father on uh, speakerphone. I remember hearing it from the other room and like kind of running in there um, because it didn't sound like a good conversation. And I think that I like gestured to him to like actually like don't say anything. Um... And so he didn't, and he was like, okay, dad, and he just hung up. And so then, you know, we're in the office, and I'm, like, sitting on the edge of the the office. There's a bed in there, like a guest bed, and I'm looking at him, and I can just see this, like, pure devastation in his eyeballs. Oh, my God. This is a really, really rough, rough conversation for me. Um... Because I felt like I watched him in this moment, like, just be crushed a little bit more. So I'm like, hey, I don't understand that. That seems crazy. Why on earth would they say that we couldn't stay? Like, is there, do you think it's your stepmom? And he's like, oh, for sure. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't get it. Like, you said that was the only stipulation. We were married. We can stay there now. Like, what else? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like... I think that we need to like, you need to call him back and you need to get clarification that it's not okay for him to say, you can't ask me questions because you're his son. And like, I just have such a very different family dynamic with my parents that it was like, it was almost like an alien. I don't know how to explain it, but like, it's like that person does not speak the human language because that's cold. And like, I, d- I don't understand how that is someone that is your father. So, um, I think maybe like the next day, I think maybe actually right after that call and that conversation with me, he had texted his dad and said something like, I'd like to have a conversation with you. And his dad was always about like scheduling time. Um, like it was a business meeting, which I think, Dick didn't realize was like so impersonal like he just made excuses and said like well my dad is busy and he's a businessman and um 
like I'll, he would really truthfully schedule time onto his calendar. So he did that and um, I was there for the call. I don't think I was there for the beginning of it, but we had talked prior to him having the call and I said, Dick, listen to me. You've experienced my family and how my dad and my mom treat you. They know everything about you and they treat you with love and they give and they they accept you. I said, you, you need to talk about feelings with your father so that he understands how you feel about what he said and, you know, kind of rescinding the invitation. And, um... You know, I actually was like really proud of Dick in this moment because he did. He led with, um, this doesn't feel good. Um, you're my father and I feel like I am not a priority. And so I think after saying those kind of things, oh, you know, he did also say, he said, you know, Amanda's parents, um, they don't, I've slept at Amanda's parents, both of their parents' house numerous times. And like, there's never been anything like this with their family. And I remember his father saying, um, well, that's because they don't know everything. And I was in the room and I don't know if he wanted me to speak, but I was like, um, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Started getting this bad taste in my mouth where it was, it was really fueled by like anger and then he just kind of his father started to kind of just talk and he said stuff along the lines of like listen um you know your stepmom doesn't want you here doesn't want you to spend the night under our roof that she doesn't feel safe um based off of occurrences or happenings in the past and one thing that I will never, ever, ever forget, well, two things, actually. Um, his father actually called me his ex-wife's name in two or three of, like, the spiels that he was talking about. And I I just was getting so, like, more and more heated. I'm like, that's fucking wild. Like, there's nothing similar about our names. <laughs> um, and, it, yeah. But this, his dad said, listen, Dick, if you weren't my son and we met on the street, we wouldn't be friends. He said, we have nothing in common. I don't agree with the way you live your life and we don't have shared values. And like, just like unpack that. <laughs> That's your father the man that you look up to, the man had, that has written the outline for the basic desires and, and almost like the thresholds of quality that you, that you put on yourself. Yeah, we wouldn't be friends. So, um, that that was that was pretty difficult to see him be crushed in that way uh you know I think maybe a few more things he said was like I don't believe that you changed um and 
I'm starting to like really dislike his father and uh, I'm also concurrently starting to feel significantly more protective over Dick. Like I was protective before. Now I'm like, this person is cruel and I will not let this stand around Christmas time. We're going to have a good Christmas. Um, so we decide obviously not to go to his dad's um, and we go straight to his mom's. We listened to Jordan Peterson on the way there. I think he had like a three-part marriage thing um, on the Daily Wire, which was, it was truthfully like fucking phenomenal. And we're rocking out to the Spirited Christmas album singing, you know, like Christmas morning feeling. Like we're just, we are smiling a lot and we're heading up to spend time with his family, which we haven't done yet. And he just seems enlightened. And we're having really good dialogue. He's taking notes on his phone, like when I'm driving on the things that Dr. Peterson is saying. And in those moments are like, those are some of my favorite moments. So I had already given him the piano, but I did pack the other gift that I had gotten him. Um, and, you know, we get to his mom's house. She shows this to the, the front bedroom. And, um, you know, she's just, I, I can't described to you guys really um how wonderful his mom was to me and his stepfather um from some of the very first conversations that we had even on the phone before we even met they were very long I know we always talked for, for a really long time like hour two hour plus um and she would say you know like I love you and I thank God for you in my son's life and um it was just really nice to like have such a warm welcome and genuinely see like she was very she's a very emotional woman so when she was happy she cried and you know um just really long squeezy hugs and it was a warm warm greeting that was going to pave the rest of, you know, the next three days or whatever. So Christmas, the day before Christmas Eve rolls around, and I think that we were out about doing like last minute shopping. So I wanted to make sure that we bought something for, you know, uh, his stepdad, his mom, his sister. Um, and I don't, I think we we're going to just buy stuff for each other. So it's really like those five. So I wanted to go out and get something nice and unique for a sister. Um, and we found stuff for the rest of them that day. Now I hadn't seen him. I had packed our bags. Okay. So I know that there was like no hidden gifts in there for me. And, you know, maybe this makes me sound materialistic, but my love language is receiving gifts. It's like, it actually is the number one. It's not about the, the price. It's about the thought. And, um, I had asked for one thing. And the one thing that I had asked for was the same ring that I had asked for, like before I was engaged. It was, um, from this website, I can't even remember what it is now, but it was a gold band and it had an emerald, I think it was like 4.5 carats or something, an emerald yellow stone. I think it was like a, a Morganite or something. The ring was like $199. Um, and I didn't see that anywhere. And I know for certain that 
there was no place around in the small little uh, Utah town that was going to have anything similar. So I kind of just like chalked that up to not being able to have that one thing that I had asked for for Christmas. But, you know, maybe there was something else that he had planned. Um, So, yeah, I think it actually ended up being Christmas Eve day. And... Like, I can see our business account. Like, I know that there's no money in there. So I'm like, what the? Like, maybe I'm really not going to get Christmas presents. That would be so crazy. But also follow suit um, from the previous Christmases now. I know. <laughs> um, and so he actually, and I, this is so crazy. He actually took a call video chatting with Jamie the guy who likes to get all suited up um, at his mom's house. And I was so uncomfortable with it. I remember them like asking me like, where's Dick? And I was like, oh, I think he's, he's like on a work call. And they're like for this long because he was like in there for quite a few hours. Um, I think he actually, he, we, he definitely didn't have a suit coat. I think he actually borrowed one of his stepdads from the closet um, in the front bedroom to put on to like look semi uh, put together um, but yeah he was like in there through dinner and then so now he's getting paid from Jamie so now there I can see money in the account but what does he do he's like oh shit gotta buy Amanda you know Christmas presents and he runs out at like 7 p.m on Christmas Eve and I don't know I think I I think that he ended up going to like Ulta and like the Nike outlet. I don't, yeah, I think it was those two stores. And he just got me, um, you know, just a bunch of like last minute thoughtful or like thoughtless gifts. There was like sweatpants and a sweatshirt, um, Nike shoes that actually did not fit me. They were the wrong size and like a travel size bottle of perfume. And I think maybe like, one of those skincare sets, like the Christmas, like pre-put-together sets. And I don't want to sound like an asshole because any gift is a good gift, right? But to someone whose primary love language is receiving gifts, it's not about the gift. It's about the thought. And there was no thought in that whatsoever. I would have truthfully appreciated more a handwritten letter, honestly, it's just who I am. So um, Christmas Eve was beautiful. It really was. Their home, amazing. Dick was playing on the grand piano. Um, we were singing Christmas carols. Um, we had a really great dinner. And his fucking wonderful mother, um, I think the night before we had talked about like traditions and stuff that we did in my family. And we talked about how we would do the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, we had glasses that said, you know, one through 12. And so you got your glass and then you had to sing that part of the song. So she actually like being so sweet and hospitable was like, we're going to do this for Amanda. And she made like the whole family sing. Um, and it was really cute. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure she's not listening, but, um, if anybody is and can tell her that I appreciated that the most that year, uh, it was very meaningful to me. Um, I did notice that the step siblings were kind of dismissive of Dick 
And I thought it was an odd dynamic because um, coming from a family of just myself and my brother, I was very excited about having uh, not just a sister-in-law, but a brother-in-law who was married that, you know, okay, two sister-in-laws, which was like, I was hyped, dude. I was hyped for that. Um, <laughs> and then I had these extended step-in-laws uh, and they're so nice and so wonderful, but they were just, it was like, they just did not like him. And I was like, that's so weird. Okay. All right. Just like taking notes. Um, went to bed. I mean, we opened presents. Everyone loved their presents. It was good. Um, we went to bed, woke up on Christmas day and it was actually snowing and like Utah snow is like it dumps and it was like real snow. So that was cool. Um, I think we went to church together. I might have the timeline wrong on this, but we went to church together, which was like right around the corner, Mormon church. And that was actually like a very like, um, spiritual moment for me. Um, because his mom and his stepdad and his sister are very, very, very rooted in their faith. And this was their home church they've gone to for a really long time. So I was happy to be able to be there with them. I was also happy to see Dick be there with them because I can imagine that it may be difficult um, with having your children live elsewhere and it being the holidays. And I remember friends coming up and being like, oh my God, is this Dick? Is this Amanda? It was so nice to know that like in our absence, we were talked about and like kind of adorned and that was really nice. So uh, we came back, we were watching Christmas movies and I think we made some gingerbread houses, which was fun. I think me and his mom and his sister, so that was good. She always had all these little activities that were so like bonding moments and I'm like, gosh, this is great. Um, and then it's time to pack up and leave. And I remember putting everything in the Jeep and it's super, super cold. You know what, Ashley, this may have been the the following, it wasn't Christmas day. It was the following day in the morning because it was really sunny and it was cold, but the sun was out. And so we were kind of standing on the front porch of his parents' house and his mom, uh, was like walking us out and she was like, just overly reiterating how thankful she was to have us there and had such a great time. And, um, you know, she's getting emotional and something, I don't know, like that just kind of sparked with Dick. He just kind of started like, I don't know how to explain it. It was like in that moment, he wanted to have the most deep conversation with his mother of all time. And, he had always kind of subscribed to this idea that his dad was glorified and his mom was, uh, you know, less than perfect. And I think that we, a lot of us do that in our lives, uh, because we remember specific things as children, but we never take into account when we grow up that at that time in our parents' lives and in our childhood, our parents were people too, who made mistakes and who were doing everything for the first time. And that was something that we had talked about on the way up to Utah. And he decided in that moment that he wanted to like forgive his mom and apologize for um, kind of like living this narrative um, that, you know, maybe she wasn't as good of a mom as he wanted her to be or something. And it was very emotional. We stood, we stood outside (laughs) 
I remember the snow melting. It's crazy. And like the sunshine, we stood outside for probably 45 minutes. And, you know, then we hugged and kissed and got in the car and we started driving back home. Um, and I would say it was probably, I don't remember if it was like three hours. It was probably like two and a half or whatever. And we're getting relatively, like we passed Salt Lake and we're just kind of like cruising. And I don't know, I really wasn't like paying attention to where we were going, but he pulls off on an exit and I'm like, what are we doing? Like, we just got gas, you know? And he goes, I need to talk to my dad. And my stomach fucking sank. Thank you, my wonderful, loyal, and fearless listeners. Throughout these 10 episodes of the Dichotomy Diaries, we have navigated the turbulent waters of truth, transparency, and resilience. So for a moment, I want to address some recent adversity brought forth. The Dichotomy Diaries has one sole purpose, to raise awareness to domestic violence, financial abuse, and narcissistic manipulation. This podcast was created to give victims a place to share their factual, first-hand experiences that have us broken, bankrupt, and sometimes fighting daily for the will to exist. Because of the nature of the topic, as we all could have imagined, I found myself under scrutiny for daring to speak my truth. It's not an easy path to walk. The road of vulnerability, of revealing the scars that have shaped me, but it's a path I chose because I believe in the power of authenticity. I've confronted not only my own painful past, but also the broader issue of victim shaming that persists, even within the legal system. It's disheartening to acknowledge that the system designed to provide justice can sometimes inadvertently perpetuate the suffering of survivors. Victim shaming has no place in my pursuit of truth and justice. Through this journey, I've uncovered stories, some hidden in the shadows of individuals who, like me, have faced adversity in the pursuit of justice. In sharing my experience, I hope to dismantle the walls of silence that often surround these issues. To those who question my motives or challenge the authenticity of my story, I say this. I stand firm in my truth. The scars on my soul are not for validation, but to bring awareness, empathy, and most importantly, change. Before we conclude, I want to leave you with something deeply personal. The following are recorded testimonies, unfiltered and raw, speaking to my character and resilience. I believe in the strength of this community, in the power of empathy, and in the possibility of healing. I would describe Amanda as, first off, beautiful, very intelligent, a woman of integrity, someone who wears their heart on their sleeve 
definitely a giver, compassionate, um, a dog lover. Um, she has a great mom and a uh, great family. The way I would describe Amanda would be as a compassionate human being, a dog lover, a family person, a Chicago native, and an Italian. She loves good food. She loves puppies and doggy cuddles, kisses. She likes car rides, and she loves her EDM music. Overall, she's ambitious, and she's also very successful on her own. She's been able to study for a lot of different exams and degrees and just become a successful woman. Amanda is a very kind and genuine person. She goes above and beyond for the ones she loves, and she's always empathetic to those surrounding her. Okay, how would you describe Amanda to someone who did not know her? (sighs) That's a hard one, because she is a new friend, and I feel like way closer to her than some people I've known for a long time, which is just absolutely crazy. I would have to say she is generous. She is kind. She makes you feel like she really cares about you and really listens to you, which I think is absolutely amazing in a person. And yeah, that's what I would say to someone that didn't know her absolutely the most generous, kind, truly caring and loving person. I also want to add she is hot as fuck too. Like intimidating hot and just the sweetest person ever. So I had to add that. Amanda is somebody who is determined. When given a task, she exceeds expectations She's always willing to make that special effort to go the extra mile, whether it be for someone or something. She's in love with being in love, a hopeless romantic, if you will. If you have a problem, Amanda is the person you go to. She is merciful, protective, extremely bright, and resourceful. First thing I would say is she's extremely confident. I used to be intimidated by her confidence because she knew exactly who she was, and she wasn't afraid to show it. Amanda isn't afraid to be herself. She's confident. She stands strong in her convictions. She's outspoken. She's life of the party, but she's also the one that planned that party. Um, She's extremely passionate in everything she does. She's beautiful, smart, hilarious, extremely charismatic. She really does live life to the fullest and doesn't let anything hold her back. She's always up to try new things. Uh, She really is just a beautiful person inside and out. Well, some would say Amanda's kind of a girly girl. She likes the girly things and likes wearing pink. She also can be one of the guys at times and just get down and dirty and have fun and uh, watch the football games and cheer on her teams, play with her dogs. She just loves a good adventure. Question I will say that Amanda is kind, thoughtful, a badass, a hard worker, a lawyer, a dog mother. I love her so much. If someone who didn't know her, wanted her to be described to them, I would definitely say all of those things. She's wonderful.
She is a glamorous, bold, determined, enthusiastic, entertaining, big-hearted woman with enthusiastic taste in men. Amanda may not notice that you are in the room, but you will 1,000% notice that she is in the room because her feminine, confident energy just fills the space. I know that sounds completely fake, but it is so true. She's so warm and kind, and I had just moved to Phoenix when I met her, and she just was like a ray of light in a dark space for me. Kind, gentle, just very sweet, and just a breath of fresh air, really. I would describe Amanda as kind. She's genuine and smart, a Great Dane mom. She sets goals and works hard to accomplish them. She's so much fun and has a beautiful soul. And she's quite a beauty on the outside as well. She's also a true and steadfast friend. Cowgirl version of Elle Woods. She's smart, beautiful, loving, fun, and absolutely amazeballs. Amanda has beautiful physical presence. But much more important than that is the depth of her soul. She's a romantic at heart. She seeks to see the positive in anyone she meets. She gives so much more than she takes. And she's ferociously loyal. She plays hard and she loves harder. And when you're in her inner circle, you will want for nothing. She's generous and empathetic to a fault. And also very family-oriented. She's driven and passionate. She's a gifted writer and speaker. And she will captivate you with her wit and charm. She's meticulous when tackling any project, whether it is a personal project or a professional one. She's relentless when she pursues any goal. She will overcome any obstacle with grace. She's resilient beyond belief, and she can bounce back from wreckage that would flatten most of us. She can endure a great deal of disappointment and heartbreak. However, when she is done, it is done. She reminds me a little bit of a raccoon. All cute and cuddly. You just want to pick him up, kiss him, and hug him. But if needed, she will scratch your eyes out. She's fearless and relentless. And it's very likely she will scare the shit out of you. I want to thank you all for allowing me into your lives every Tuesday, for engaging with my story and being part of a community that refuses to turn a blind eye to the injustices that persist. As we move forward, let us continue to listen, to learn, and to stand united against the shadows that seek to silence the voices of survivors. I'm Amanda Arnier, and this is The Dichotomy Diaries. Taste regret, it's not over